0: So hi and welcome to a brand new episode of Inside the Classroom. As always, I'm delighted to be joined with my co-host Russell Imory, and on today's episode we have history teacher Jen Biles.
1: Hi Jen. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hi, hi, Jen. So you've been um, you've been teaching for six years and you've been in Lindsay for four years. Yep. Uh previous skills before that, now how do you pronounce this? It was Loch Gilliphead and Moffat Lough, Academy.
2: Yep.
1: How did you find them compared to compared to Lindsay?
2: Um really different they're both rural schools okay. so um the pupil role is smaller um but i, I mean they're actually similar they're fairly high attaining skills you know so okay. in terms of demographic it's they're they're actually quite similar but smaller pupil role lens okay. a much bigger school more staff Are
1: you sure you get to know more of the pupils then if it's smaller
2: do you um yeah yeah uh-huh. basically i mean absolutely after a like, couple of weeks you kind of know them all even if you don't teach
1: them just because
2: you see them all
1: the time yep yeah uh so obviously you're a history teacher yeah um you describe yourself uh, so three words to describe yourself as a teacher you've put caring in there and high expectations how, yeah. how, important, how important is it to have high expectations you think as a teacher
2: well i think you know if you're you're expecting pupils to, to do their best and to yeah. achieve and obviously to succeed. That's the whole point of being a teacher. So um, you you have high, I have high expectations of myself, I suppose, yeah, uh, course, which yeah. can be a good and a bad thing. But, um, you know, as long as that filters down to them as well, um, I think that's important because, you know, you want to hold them accountable, I suppose.
1: Yeah, of course um, you want to do their best. Yeah. And you've put in here, if you weren't a teacher you would be a journalist.
2: Yeah. Maybe. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's what um our previous guest Tito said, he'd be a sports journalist as well. So
2: Did he? Yeah. Um I think yeah, I did a wee bit I had a wee bit experience of it when I was a uh, a uni. Um I quite liked like writing and um that side of things. So maybe I could have gone down that route. I don't know. Who knows?
0: <laughs> Jen, just picking up on um your introduction there like you've got six years teaching experience and um, some of your previous guests have been on the show, uh, mm-hmm. Tito and Grant McKenzie, they've had over 60 years teaching experience between them. Man that does sound, they're very very old. Um, it is given that there has been some change within our profession uh, since that yeah. time they've started and someone like yourself who has been teaching for six years and i am been in a position mm-hmm. like myself in NQTE Uh, a lot more recently than they have do you have any piece of advice or something that you know now that maybe you wish you had known then that you maybe want to share
2: yeah um i would say i mean this is difficult because sometimes these things come with experience and a bit confidence as well but probably like you know you can't control everything i think you know you're going to we're probably teachers because we're sort of um, we're organized individuals, and I think organization is obviously very important, absolutely, but I think as an NQT, I felt very much like that got in the way of other things like you' kind of wanting to control every single aspect of the lesson and you're planning it to a T, um It kind of comes at the detriment sometimes of nurturing those relationships with kids in the classroom, you know, so being able to be adaptable as well and be a bit more flexible um I definitely found that over the years that's something that is going to be really really beneficial to sort of building relationships um and obviously we're all being having to be really adaptable during this time at the moment um people are having to kind of step outside their comfort zone do things that they've never done before and to adapt to the current situation so um you know not everything has to go so smoothly and to plan and to be able to kind of be relaxed and just really enjoy the job and the interaction with the pupils and um and kind of like you know brush off not brush off your mistakes but almost like take them in your stride a little bit it's important that pupils see you as being human um and that's something that once i kind of got that and you relax into the job it becomes so much more enjoyable yeah how are you finding
1: um how are you finding not having at the moment the interaction with the kids and setting the online work how are you finding that
2: kind of hard actually i mean it's a completely different dynamic it's almost just like you're doing one aspect of the job and obviously there's so many different aspects of the job of the teacher but the main aspect and the most enjoyable aspect for me and i'm sure most people is the the daily interaction the physical interaction with pupils. you know seeing them every day say hello to them seeing their faces um and that's completely taken away so you're doing the other side of the job um and there's some benefits, obviously. Um, you get a bit more one-on-one support. You know, pupils are emailing you, asking questions and things like that that you maybe yep. don't get in the classroom. But I'm definitely missing the the day-to-day interactions with pupils. Okay. I think everybody is.
1: Yeah, of course. It kind of brings us on to the yeah. next question. You said that was yeah. uh, one of the best bits you liked about the job was the interaction. So what do you enjoy most about being a, being a teacher?
2: Well, I'd say... Um, said quite a lot but every day is is really different and you're working with young people obviously they're kind of unpredictable but in in a good way so you know no matter what's going on inside your life you know i i work out with the classroom um you can come in within 10 minutes of teaching a class that kind of goes away you know it's such an absorbing job so i really like that i like the daily interaction um you see so many different pupils on a different basis, obviously, so many different members of staff as well. Um, There's a good sense of purpose, this job, it's a really fulfilling job. Um, I like seeing pupils succeed. I know everybody sort of says this, but that kind of feeling of, you know, if you know an individual pupil that's maybe struggling with something and then they get it, that's really rewarding. And you see that in really, on a daily basis, but obviously on a, a long-term basis as well. Yep. So. That side of the job um, keeps it exciting. It's never a boring job. Every day is literally is, is different. You don't really know always what you're going into. And like I said before, obviously, you can be as organised as possible, but you don't know when, when things are going to just completely change. Must
1: be quite boring with Andy Park, surely, I Don't know. <laughs> that? Must be quite boring with Andy Park.
2: Oh so so boring
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I better edit that out eh? <laughs> he
0: actually said don't say anything mean
2: about me but that's the first dig. Here we go. <laughs> so
0: Jen within your classroom then how do you bring history alive how do you make it more engaging for the pupils that say history is in the past and, and what's the point?
2: Well yeah I mean that's that's something that you get a lot and I think but the thing is, I think like all children and, you know, like Russell, you've got kids, you'll know this, like, like children um, have a natural sense of curiosity. Like they're always asking like why and how and things happened. Mm-hmm. So I feel like history naturally lends itself to that quite easily. So you can sort of, um, if you can kind of play into that curiosity a little bit, um, it's, it's quite good. Um, rather than just, you know, history has, has come a long way since it was just that sort of standing in front of the classroom being like, oh, here's the facts learn them write them down um so i always try and start a lesson with like a of interesting photograph or something an old photograph like something i've been doing this week and i've done quite a lot in the past is like um having starting a lesson with a, a photograph of something like in actually germany unit we do at national five like a picture of during hyperinflation like somebody with a wheelbarrow full of money and kids are like what you know what's going on there so automatically you're sort of generating discussion you can do it with a a picture of like a packed slave ship or something like that and so automatically they're asking why that happened and it's quite good when you're introducing a brand new topic to kind of lead with that because automatically they're already asking why and so then you can lead into your lesson and say well this is why this happened here's the facts here's the history behind it but also i think having kids um you know having as many interactive and collaborative group work activities as possible you try and get a lot of activities that will sort of simulate things that happened in the past. So, for example, in like S1, we've got um, a sort of choices lesson that I've done quite a a few times where uh, pupils are like putting themselves in the place of a Jewish person living in Nazi Germany and having to make choices as they would if they were living at the time. It helps them kind of empathise, I think, with people living in the past and see its relevance and see that people in the past were just like them Um, and automatically that I think that really engages them. So, as much of that as possible, um, it really does help bring it alive uh, when they can do sort of tasks like Trying to as much of that as possible. Um, yeah.
0: Me and Russell were talk, talking about this um, earlier. We're just shooting about what kind of happens now within the BG phase in history. Like, how far in history do you go back to teach them?
2: How far is in terms of timescale, like? Time scale? like
0: time scale yet so obviously when I was at school and I was at school it was a few years ago so yeah
2: yeah
0: uh, what, what is it any kind of new history of these teachers it's still kind of
2: yeah it's quite an interesting one because I think kids have like their perspective of history is really different to us obviously so um we <laughs> we know about we did not say anything so Andy's birthday was 1979 so he'll say anything like um before that is history and anything after that is not so, anyway, so that's what so basically like anything they, they think like the 1980s is history it's not quite become history it's yeah, okay. more modern studies yep. so it's more like here and now but obviously like i don't know anything um we go as far back as i think the oldest topic we do is like Scottish Wars of independence that's like 12th 13th century we don't teach it in a chronological order it's not like an s1 they, they learn the really early stuff in the next two and then that, that kind of thing okay. so he does jump about a little bit from topic to topic
1: okay Jen. Um, um just moving on um so history involves quite a lot of facts and details mm-hmm. um, so what techniques or strategies do you use in the classroom to try and help people remember key facts and dates etc
2: dates are quite a big one because i think a lot of like people find that really daunting like to learn loads of loads of dates so um and often like kids will always ask me like myths are dates important like well yeah (laughs) they are like this of course it is important um so we try and do like timelines are something we start off with really early and like s1 gives them a sort of a visual cue i suppose they can create their own one they can see the chronology of dates a particular topic they're studying but also they can contextualize that with other topics as well like what else was going on in the world at that particular time um we do a lot of uh the sort of cue card technique as well which i think helps kids remember so much content in history there's so much facts so little cue cards where they're kind of like um it's a good kind of metacognition technique as well you've kind of got um, a variation of it so you kind of cut them in half or fold them in half got two columns so you've got like trigger words on one side and then the detail on the other so depending on the level of confidence they can kind of fold that over and they can learn the information by just using the trigger words or if they're not as confident and they can kind of fold it all the way out and so they've got the detail as well so i always try and put as many like sort of meet and greet activities where they're having to go and find somebody else in the room and use just the keywords to remember a particular area of a topic as much as possible Um, Trying to think of like fun ways to remember stuff as well, like acronyms are a good one. Um, doing things like a play on words. So for example, there's like, I don't know, there's somebody, um, there's so many names to remember. So many names, particularly if we're studying like a Russian topic or a German topic that they're not maybe um, that memorable. So yeah. one of the chancellors in Germany was called called uh, Gustav Stressman. So I like um, say, well, he had to sort out the economy. So he was a very sort of stressed man. So something like that can help them remember and okay, yeah. they, they they remember that themselves. And I think having plenty of like low stakes kind of quizzes as well, like Kahoots, obviously quite a popular one. I think most teachers use that. Um, I certainly do have been using it a lot during lockdown as well to try and engage them with the, the content or post online. Um, and it also helps highlight the kids what they need to know, because there's a reason the questions are in those quizzes is because they actually need to know these facts and details as well. So although it is fun, it does kind of remind them that oh i need to go back and study this or, or whatever
1: okay yeah We
0: you know that um feedback is key to learning Jen. how do you ensure that you get to speak to all your pupils in your class about how they're progressing
2: um i think this is quite a tricky one because it obviously comes up quite a lot in school you know how do you how do you feedback to 200 pupils that you teach and secondary school teachers that's obviously quite difficult so younger ones, particularly when they're coming into S1 and they're they're trying to get to know you as a teacher and they're trying to get to know um you know the topic and and whatever else you you kind of I think circulating as much as possible and giving them that kind of frequent praise and that frequent but quite discreet feedback um is really helpful. For older ones obviously when they're sitting exams the feedback's got to be more tangible because you've got to give them something kind of concrete that they can then apply to to their to the next test or whatever if it's post-pulim, so I always try and have them like come to my desk one at a time, um, maybe during a double period or something like that, um, and kind of target set with them, but try and make it as, as pupil-led as possible, so it's not you being the bad guy all the time and saying, you've done this wrong and you've done that wrong, you need to do this, you need to do that, because then they're like, right, okay. So. At least, if you if you're sort of saying, well, can you see where you went wrong and and I'll, like sort t- target target setting together can really help. Um, whole class feedback is probably I think it's something that I think all teachers use, but um, if you're going over like a test or something, it's probably no use doing it straight away. So if you give a test back, kids have a tendency to sort of fixate on a grade. They go, oh, I've done really well, so I don't need to listen to this, or I've done really badly and I'm annoyed, so I'm not going to listen to this. So if you wait a wee bit and then go back over the test with um, you know possible answers and common mistakes, they don't feel targeted, but they should be able to recognise their own mistakes. Yeah. So they're not relying on you to always point them out. Um, I think as a department as well, we have like a good sort of open door policy that helps a lot of kids feel that they, you know, they're comfortable coming and ask their teachers questions, um, being able being able to ask me if they're stuck on something or finding something tricky um but obviously there is some people that just don't do that they'll they'll hide they won't come and speak to you which means that you can obviously then target them and it does involve a little bit of chasing up and and trying to sit with them maybe a break or lunch or something to talk about to, to talk about an area that they're maybe not doing too well in. and that is a tricky one like how do you feedback how do you give that one-to-one feedback to every single people you teach yeah.
1: You just you mentioned there are kinda of senior pupils in grades. So I mean history always every year has good good results and it's a very high attaining department. Um is there anything you could share with other departments about, you know, why history do so well, any kind of advice or tips or study strategies or anything you could give?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think going back to that idea of high expectations and maintaining that from the word go but obviously being you know forgiving and encouraging at the same time I mentioned a lot about revision techniques um, already so the cue card technique is something that we implement really early into S1 so I think it's kind of key to to get kids into good study habits as early as possible so for example S1 like before their first test we can introduce them to different so it's not just the cue cards but mind maps uh, quizzes or, or whatever and they get to kind of try out different revision techniques, different study techniques, and they can kind of choose the ones that they feel the most comfortable with, or they enjoy the most, or, or whatever. Um, it means that when they get to the senior phase, they've kind of got that um, go-to strategy already. They know, what they should know, what generally works for them. Um, we also give out revision booklets throughout the year. They're a little A5 kind of booklets, sort of pocket size, so it's not too intimidating. Um, And this I think helps break up the course into manageable chunks. I think pupils get really confused sometimes. They're like overwhelmed with the amount of information. They get confused between units and courses and things like that. Well, when they've got a a go-to guide with just the main key points, that's what they need to learn. It really it helps them manageable, it helps them manage it a lot more. But also it's it's kinda of equitable as well because if you've got pupils that are have long term absences or short term absences for whatever reason, they've got that book, so they've missed lessons, they've got a kind of go to revision booklet that's it's broken down into chunks, it's broken down into sections, it's bullet pointed. We also make them, we take it from the sqa marking scheme, so it's not just pulled out of thin air. Um, but also we think very carefully about how we plan lessons in the BGE as well. We want to make it engaging, we want to praise them and as much as possible celebrate their achievements make them feel you know that if they maybe if they've not done particularly well in a test or something that doesn't mean that they're bad at history and they're not going to achieve that, that everybody can achieve and it's a department that everyone can achieve in um and i think that does actually become a bit of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way because they do then want to work hard uh, they feel confident the time they get to, to national 5, so and yeah going back to that idea of like open door policy as well i think when people feel comfortable in an apartment that they can knock on the door at any time and there's going to be somebody there a friendly face to help them um they're not going to be turned away um or they're not going to be asking a seemingly stupid question they're more inclined to come back and learn more so that definitely helps yep good
1: night. thank you I like. I mean, I like. I like the idea of the cue cards. So I might come chasing you up for some examples of them. That's okay.
2: Yeah.
1: See. Last question is just um, we're looking for a, a a funny story or a source of amusement or something that's maybe happened to you or people said to you in school.
2: Yeah, this one was actually the hardest one because, like, I think there's um, quite a lot of like small funny incidences that happen, and you kind of feel like has there any, been any big one. Um, I think going back to that idea that it's important for people to see you as human and somebody that sort of makes mistakes um and you know you're not afraid to kind of have a laugh at them i remember my nqt year um we had I an mean, obviously i mentioned before i was a rural school which was fairly small compared to lensy standards and so the whole school all staff all pupils could fit into the assembly hall and on the last year term uh I think it was before summer they had like a staff versus people's obstacle course um might be something actually that i don't know if, if he organized i can't remember and they had like you know sort of kid style obstacle toys there was one of those tunnels you know it was quite yeah. they're like made of like tent material
1: yeah yeah yeah.
2: so <laughs> i had to go through one of those and i got stuck in the middle of it <laughs> and so um and like I said, this was like the whole school. It's not like the selection of pupils and staff, like a bit like a Lindsay that will turn up and watch. It was like everybody. And it was so bad because I feel like, I mean, it didn't last that long, but for like the minute or two that I was stuck, I felt like an eternity. I was thinking like, do I stand up and like walk out the hall? Like, do I stand up and walk away with this tunnel on me? Or do I need to get caught out of it? I don't know. Um, and then actually, so that, that was one thing. Um... I remember being oh well, it was like so so embarrassing but luckily it was the end of my NQT year I was leaving the school so not like I'd see anyone again but um again going back to my NQT year was another time on the we went on a, a battlefield trip so it's quite a common history trip we do it at Lindsay as well um so we're in Belgium and we're on the the coach um leaving I think we're leaving Belgium to get the ferry back from France and we would bought all these souvenirs and I bought some um, beer from my dad and I was sitting in um my bag on the overhead locker thing or below my feet and there was like a huge there was a really hot day and it was like a really loud bang on the coach. So everyone had sounds that the pupils had done something, including me. So like we're all standing up, like, who was that? Come on, like what we, so someone's got like a yeah. banger or something, <laughs> uh, one of those like things and, and then it was this like really strong smell of beer and a bit like if you've ever been on like a public bus in glasgow and you just see it like trickling down the aisle <laughs> so it was um my beer from my bag and nice. yeah i look like the alky teacher so <laughs> 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 it's pretty embarrassing but yeah um that's the two things i can think of standing out of memory where i'm like i feel like you know what you've been like exposed um
1: so yeah right jen well thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you for sharing some of your experiences with us yeah thanks jen you've been great
2: okay no problem